This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Explosive allegations about money laundering revealed by Global News investigative reporters helped lead to a big announcement from the provincial government today. There will be a public inquiry into money laundering. The premier calling the problem a crisis in our economy. John Waugh has more on who will lead the inquiry and what they're hoping to learn. For years. Criminals have used British Columbia as a bank machine for their blood money, depositing their dirty cash into BC casinos, luxury vehicles, and the real estate market, only to see the withdrawals washed clean. These are profound problems for our system, to be sure, but they're profound problems for the people of British Columbia as well. Knowing the effects of what happened, not enough. The BC NDP government finally conceding to the public outcry, for accountability. We believe a public inquiry today will allow us to get an understanding of how we got to this point. The surcharge paid by society has been high. Organized crime, the fentanyl crisis, and housing unaffordability. Part of a plague on this province known by international policing groups as the Vancouver model. There are people in this province who participated in this. And those people need to be held criminally accountable. The warnings brought to light by brave whistleblowers who first spoke to Global News. I believe the BC Liberals were enablers in the flow of dirty cash for years and years. A former commander of BC's illegal gaming task force says if he's called to testify, he'll be ready to name names. I believe that the evidence in its totality will expose human traits such as greed, self-interest and cowardice. Leading the inquiry, BC Supreme Court Justice Austin Cullen also given power to subpoena testimony and evidence and hold those who refuse in contempt. Some individuals have refused to participate in our reviews voluntarily. We are done with asking nicely. A public inquiry will likely take a deeper look at gaming, where staff wrote more than 100 pages of handwritten notes, claiming to have witnessed the origins of criminal gangs on the casino floor. Oh my God, we're dealing with, with gangs. This is Asian crime gangs. And how properties were used as piggy banks for the proceeds of crime hiking up housing prices upwards of 20% in some markets. That could mean all the difference in someone's down payment or ability to get a mortgage. With a public inquiry called, the focus will now be on the terms and scope. But be sure British Columbians are fed up and looking for fault. John Hua, Global News. Now, part of this inquiry will get into political accountability. Who made what decisions when? And while the B.C. Liberals have been on the receiving end of a lot of the finger pointing, as Richard Zussman reports, they are welcoming the inquiry. Thanks, everybody. The power is now out of the hands of the politicians, and those politicians could soon be headed under the microscope. Fingers how long would point at the B.C. Liberals, and especially former Solicitor General Rich Coleman. He can now be called to testify over decisions he made while he was in charge of gaming and whether those decisions opened the money laundering floodgates. I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy there's an inquiry. 
We'll finally get past some of this innuendo and accusation, and let's get down to some facts. But there are some facts that could be harder to get than others. It's unclear whether the inquiry commissioner will have access to the previous government's cabinet documents, which the NDP has called for for nearly a year. I would hope that uh, Minister Wilkinson will revisit that question and allow the public to have an understanding of what work did happen. The timing of the inquiry could also provide some political complications. The deadline is May 2021, and the next provincial election is set to be in the fall of that year. Well, now that the government has made the decision to put in place a public inquiry, the BC Liberals clearly will cooperate with that inquiry, yes. I don't see political interference happening through a commission. In fact, I would suggest it's the only way not to have political interference, and I'm quite pleased that government has moved forward in this direction. Inquiries have historically made politicians pay in this country. The Gomery Commission investigated the federal sponsorship scandal and helped keep the federal Liberals out of power for more than a decade. The Charbonneau Commission, involving construction contracts in Quebec, led to politicians behind bars. But Assistant Chief Deputy to the Commissioner says inquiries are ultimately about fixing a broken system. If you understand really what happened, and you can change the society, the mechanism, the organizations, the people to make sure that it's not going to happen again, but that's a major plus for the province of British Columbia. Now the inquiry commissioner must decide who will be held responsible to ensure it never happens again. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. No innuendo, just the facts as we bring in Keith Baldry for more on the potential of this inquiry. Keith, is there a concern the feds won't participate in a meaningful way and what happens if not? Yeah, that has been a concern for some time. And one of the reasons I think there's been a delay in calling this uh, uh, public inquiry. And the problem is there's so many players here who are federal officials or federal agencies, the RCMP, FinTrack, Immigration, National Revenue. Uh, provincial inquiry cannot necessarily compel federal officials to testify. But David Eby, the attorney general, was asked just about that today. And he says he's got an arrangement and an agreement with the feds now that there will be cooperation uh, in this inquiry, something he did not have on the table in secure just a few weeks ago. Here's the attorney. The RCMP has, uh, there's an important federal component related to the RCMP in terms of their international and national investigative bodies. And we hope for full cooperation, not just from the federal government uh, on the political side, but also from entities like the RCMP. I'm sure that they have as much interest as we do in ending this activity. Now, so the jury remains out whether or not we are going to see that cooperation, but that will be up to Austin Cullen to find out. Now, back to Mr. Cullen. Uh, don't look for anything really active from him quite yet. He's got to assemble a team. He's got to hire a crackjack uh, lead counsel, find office space, and come up with a strategic plan. He's been asked to look at about 10 to 12 sectors out there for money laundering. That's a lot of work. He needs a real strategic plan. That's going to take some time. So I don't expect public hearings anytime before the fall. All right. Thanks very much, Keith Baldry and Victoria. Now, aside from whistleblowers, in order to determine the scope of this problem, the government will need to compel people to come forward. But given the fact those who are laundering money are criminals, it raises the question, how are they going to be able to do that? There is nobody uh, in, in British Columbia that uh, is not potentially compellable. Uh, the commissioner could certainly call individuals who are believed to be actively involved in money laundering. The caveat on that, obviously, and it's in the terms of reference, is not to interfere with active police investigations. 
And now that whistleblowers will have protection under oath, what more might we hear as the inquiry seeks to put everything on the table? Our Sam Cooper has owned this story since the beginning uh, and done much of the investigative work. Sam, you've talked to some of those whistleblowers today. What's their reaction to the announcement of a public inquiry and what might they say? Sophie, uh, my sources are elated. There have been so many people that have waited to tell their stories, people from casino staff up to investigators, even, I believe, high-level B.C. politicians. I think that we could hear allegations from investigators that they believe organized crime was able to form connections in the casino industry. I believe we may even hear from a source that alleges persons in B.C.'s government allegedly knowingly allowed suspected money laundering transactions. So we've already learned so many shocking details about the extent of money laundering, Sam. Much of it from your reporting. How much more do you think an inquiry might dig up? Well, at this point, I have seen red flags that could suggest that suspects in organized crime may have formed uh, connections to people in B.C. business, even elected officials. We haven't seen any of those names. We haven't seen any of those allegations in public. Remember, the Quebec inquiry specifically looked into criminal infiltration of government, and I believe we could raise those kind of questions in the B.C. inquiry. All right. Lots to dig into there. Sam Cooper joining us in Ottawa. Thanks. To the latest on the midair collision involving two sightseeing float planes in Ketchikan, Alaska. The bodies of the missing passengers have been recovered, bringing the total to six dead, among them a woman from Richmond and her husband. Grace Key has more on the investigation now, and late today the recovery of some of the wreckage. Grace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, also today, Taquan Air, that's one of the companies involved in this collision, they did resume their flights again. This is after they were suspended after the collision. And today, the National Transportation Safety Board went to the crash site to start collecting the wreckage. A devastating end to a sightseeing tour in Alaska. An otter and beaver float plane collided in midair on Monday. Both pulled out of the waters near Ketchikan. The beaver was found upside down, partially submerged. The otter about a couple of kilometers away. The National Transportation Safety Board will now take a good look at the wreckage as investigators try to determine how this tragedy happened. We interviewed the pilot of the Taquan airplane, and we've been interviewing passengers. Tuesday night, the last two of the missing passengers were discovered near the crash site after searchers discovered debris nearby. So we had a a ground team um, that was uh, uh, searching uh, the shoreline. Um, That team uh, started locating some uh, debris from the aircraft. They located uh, uh, some heavier items. Uh, which uh, kind of led them to to expand their search in that particular area, Um, and they located uh, both bodies. That brings the total number of killed to six, including 37-year-old Elsa Wilk of Richmond and her husband Ryan from Utah. Ten people were rescued in all. Some were able to swim to shore on their own. So tomorrow, the National Transportation Safety Board will return to the crash site and finish up collecting that debris there. So they are also going to be bringing that wreckage back here to Ketchikan, where they'll be putting it in a hangar and then trying to piece together exactly what unfolded there on Monday. A preliminary report should be released in a couple of weeks. Chris? Grace Key reporting from Ketchikan. Thanks, Grace.
Now, as mentioned, the B.C. victim, Elsa Wilk, was living in Richmond with her husband, Ryan Wilk, who's originally from Utah. Romina Dea is live in our newsroom tonight with more on the couple. And, Romina, we've learned this family is actually facing three losses. What a heavy day for the victim's family, Sophie. 37-year-old Elsa Wilk, her husband Ryan Wilk, 39, and Elsa's brother, 46-year-old Louis Bota, all died in the crash. Fierce, genuine, a powerhouse. This is how Elsa is being remembered by family and friends who are in shock. Elsa, originally from South Africa, became a Canadian citizen in 2013. She worked in marketing for several digital media companies. Her husband Ryan worked for New Data Security based in Vancouver. We're hearing that the couple was planning on moving to Utah where they recently purchased a home. Elsa's dedication to academics and Taekwondo, just some of the stories we're hearing tonight. Uh, Taekwondo was definitely her passion in life. She was a very dedicated person. The people in her inner circle were, were very special to her. She was a very genuine person. Now, Ian Brink, who you just heard from, said he had no words for Elsa's mother, who lost two of her children just like that in one day on vacation. He said it could have happened to anyone. Sophie. It's heartbreaking for that family. Rumina, thank you. First, though, the former WHL hockey player accused of snatching a toddler at a Kelowna park last month has been granted bail. Harold Giffen Nyren of Calgary is charged with one count of assault and one count of willfully resisting a peace officer. Witnesses told Global News he grabbed the child from its mother and bystanders had to wrestle the baby away from him. He then stripped down and attempted to flee police by jumping into Okanagan Lake. He was ordered to undergo a psychiatric assessment three days later. Nyren's next court appearance is June 13th after the assessment is complete. More crews have been dispatched to the largest wildfire in B.C., the one burning near Osuyas. Nearly 60 firefighters and four helicopters are tackling the Richter Creek fire, which is estimated at 400 hectares and still listed as out of control. A number of properties are on evacuation alert. The fire was caused by a vehicle fire that spread to the grass beside Highway 3. The district of North Vancouver is taking a homeowner to court, claiming she is illegally blocking a highway project after her home was expropriated. As Catherine Urquhart reports, part of the battle centers on the price paid for the property and whether or not the homeowner has been given enough time to move out. There's reasons why I'm still here, which are valid. And, um... Joanna Hanlon knows she has to move. In November, she was told she had four months to vacate. Her North Vancouver house is being expropriated for the $198 million Lower Lynn Interchange Project. The 64-year-old, who has owned the property for decades, says she needs more time to find a new home. It's hard to move and to prepare papers especially when you don't know exactly what's expected of you in the court or which forms to use, etc. But District of North Vancouver officials say they can't wait. They're seeking an injunction forcing her out. In a statement, the district said, she has not left and has provided no assurance when she is leaving. Thus, we are now before the court requesting eviction as the project cannot continue with this level of uncertainty. 
they didn't do it the simple way. They did it the most, you know, d confused way that you could choose of the choices that you have in the court. And um, there's just not a lot of time to do that, right? Its goal first is to move. Hanlon also questions government's ability to purchase expropriated property at market value, which in her case is $1.75 million. My property is worth more, substantially more than what I was provided for it. The senior says she will appear in court Friday and plead for her eviction to be delayed. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Kelowna RCMP have a man in custody after an online death threat was made against the city's mayor. A post calling for the shooting of Mayor Colin Bazran was made on infonews.ca after city council's approval of a controversial development for a six-story building where previously only a maximum of four stories was allowed. Bazran says he expects criticism, but the threat was hurtful to him and his family. But online comments made by one of our residents yesterday encouraging violence is where we draw the line. By ignoring the comment and not saying anything to me would just be condoning this type of behavior. A 52-year-old Kelowna man has been arrested and released on strict conditions. Police say he faces potential criminal charges. Well, recently released video of an RCMP officer interviewing an alleged victim of sexual assault is drawing condemnation tonight. A warning, the line of questioning from the officer might make it uncomfortable to watch. Sarah McDonald has more on the shocking interview and how RCMP are responding. I was really freaked out. It's supposed to be an interview of a sexual assault complainant. Like if it was someone that you had never known before and... He grabbed you and took you into a house and started attacking you physically. How would you react differently? What would you do? Well, I, I don't know. Like, I've never been in that situation. I don't know. What do you think you would do? I mean, I, I could tell you what I would do, and I've never been in that situation. But the exchange between a Kelowna RCMP member and an Indigenous minor who alleged she'd been raped by an acquaintance sounds more like an aggressive interrogation reserved for a suspected criminal. And you also knew how to get up and run out of the house, right? Yeah. I mean, he's taking your clothes off. How much of a fight did you put up for The male Mountie left alone with the unaccompanied minor after two social workers are escorted outside. I have some questions for you guys. Can I talk to you outside? Asks a barrage of unsettling questions involving the complainant's sexual history and if she enjoyed the alleged sexual assault. Were you at all turned on during this at all, no. even a little bit? No. Physically, you weren't at all responsive to his advances, even maybe... Um, subconsciously. Global News has obtained police video of the encounter that occurred in 2012 when the complainant was 17 years old and in the care of the province. Because you understand that when a guy tries to have sex with a female and the female is completely unwilling, it's very difficult, right? Yeah, yeah, it hurt a lot. It hurt a lot at the beginning? For the whole thing. The footage only surfacing now is part of a statement of claim in a civil case, raising concerns about the complainant's treatment and garnering bipartisan condemnation in Parliament. What was revealed in that uh, video was absolutely abhorrent. The apparent attitudes and techniques that were on display in 2012 are profoundly outdated, offensive and wrong. It was totally inappropriate. And, and I, I don't know where people get that 
kind of uh, right uh, to, to re-victimize somebody. It's, it's, it's disgusting. In a statement, the RCMP calls new training for officers a priority. Adding a course for interviewing sexual assault complainants has recently been updated. How much did you resist him taking off your clothes? I didn't. That's the terrible part. You didn't resist him taking off your clothes? You didn't tell him no when this was going on? No? I didn't say anything. I was too scared. No charges were ever laid in connection to the complainant's allegations. The Ministry of Children and Family Development calling the footage heart-wrenching and appalling. Sarah McDonald Global. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Two window washers in Oklahoma City on a wild ride no one would want. After their lift came loose and began swinging wildly 50 stories up. As the two held on for dear life, the lift smashed into the building several times. Rescuers scrambling to try to stop it. Gabe Gutierrez has more on how the dramatic rescue high above Oklahoma City came to a happy conclusion on the ground. It was a terrifying sight. Can you imagine being all the way up there? Oh my gosh. A huge scaffold high above Oklahoma City swinging out of control. Two window washers holding on for dear life. Everyone stop what you're doing and say a prayer for these people. I don't know if I want to watch the rest of this. The basket dangling precariously from a crane, bashing in windows as first responders rush to the scene. We're unsure of injuries or the extent, if there are any, at this point. The skyscraper, the tallest in the city, stretches 52 stories, 844 feet into the air. So, Major Derek Keel and Lieutenant Kevin Nidell were among the rescuers. How'd you manage to stop this thing? Well, we got it lowered enough where we could get ropes thrown to them. As we threw ropes to them, they were able to each uh, grab the ropes and secure the basket and on their end and while well, we anchored it to the building. It's a delicate type of rescue. In 2014, two window washers were plucked from outside the 68th floor of One World Trade Center in New York City. In 2016, another was saved in downtown Chicago. Authorities don't know yet what caused this platform to break loose, but firefighters say wind likely played a role. Some breaking news now and another controversial move by Donald Trump. The White House announcing tonight that the president has signed a full pardon for former Canadian media mogul Conrad Black. Black was convicted in 2007 of fraud and obstruction of justice. He spent three and a half years in prison. The White House says Black has a distinguished reputation for helping others and is deserving of executive clemency. Black has been a vocal supporter of Trump. Alabama's Republican governor has signed into law the most stringent anti-abortion bill in the United States. The law bans abortion in virtually all circumstances, but it's mostly designed to take the issue back to the U.S. Supreme Court. Who's right? All right. Tonight, Alabama, the latest battleground in the newly energized abortion debate. This bill is about control. Human life has rights. 
Late today, Republican Governor Kay Ivey signed the nation's most restrictive anti-abortion law in the country to take effect in six months. All human life is precious. The restrictions would make it a felony for anyone to perform an abortion, punishable by up to 99 years in prison, only legal if there's serious health risk to the mother, no exception for rape or incest, outlawed at any stage of the pregnancy. We believe in Alabama that baby in the womb is a person. That's already a part of our law. If a drunk driver killed a mother expecting a child, it's a double homicide in our law. This law goes further than 28 other states that either recently introduced or enacted abortion restrictions. Some defining life begins when a fetal heartbeat is detected. Missouri and Louisiana debating abortion today. I was saddened for the women of the state of Alabama. I was saddened for the women in this country to think that we cannot make decisions for ourselves and our bodies. House Bill 314 passes. Legislators here say they specifically worded this abortion bill to challenge Roe v. Wade. But tonight, Reverend Pat Robertson says it's gone too far. It's an extreme law and they want to challenge Roe versus Wade. But my humble view is that this is not the case we want to bring to the Supreme Court because I think this one will lose. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was in Paris today talking online security with world leaders and visiting the site of the fire that shocked the world. Canada will stand uh, with France uh, and uh, ensure that we offer all the support, whether it's steel uh, or wood. After touring the devastated Notre Dame Cathedral and pledging help from Canada, Trudeau joined world leaders in issuing the Christchurch Call, named after the New Zealand city, where 51 people were killed by an attacker who live-streamed the massacre. The governments are pledging to counter online extremism with regulations. And Facebook, Google and Twitter have promised to find ways to keep Internet platforms from being used to spread hate, organize extremist groups and broadcast terror attacks. The U.S. has declined to back the call, citing concerns about free speech. Caught on video in Florida, two unlikely friends hard at play. A German shepherd and a deer not letting a little thing like a backyard fence get in the way of their fun. The dog's owner says Ike and the deer played chase for about two minutes, running full out the whole time until they finally stopped, probably a little pooped out. Ike's owner says he's a two-year-old rescue dog that was anxious and fearful at first, but is now happy and full of life. Having fun with his buddy. All right, in health matters tonight, for the first time in a long time, the B.C. Coroner's Service says the number of illicit drug deaths in B.C. actually dropped in the first three months of this year. But as Jordan Armstrong reports tonight, fentanyl is still a major problem, and B.C.'s morgues are still getting an average of three new victims every day. The overdose crisis, still a public health emergency. But finally, a positive sign. Fewer people are dying. During the first three months of 2019, an average 89 people died per month from overdoses, a 32% decline from the same period last year. So what's working? Uh, we know that there's drug checking services, uh, supervised consumption and overdose prevention sites. But Michelle Jansen, whose son died three years ago of a fentanyl overdose, doubts the downturn is widespread. I suspect 
that a lot of that has to do with where the death toll was very, very high in the downtown east side, for example. Um, now copious amounts of resources have been um, targeted in that area. She feels more supports are needed in the suburbs and points to this stat. Nine in ten overdose deaths happened inside, more than half of those in private residences. The victims, overwhelmingly men, typically aged 30 to 59. The coroner's data really shows that this is happening in every community around the province. It's certainly not just a downtown east side problem. It's happening in suburban neighborhoods. Dr. Wood believes decriminalization is the only solution. We really need to talk about regulating and controlling the illegal market under a public health framework that would probably enable us to do a better job with drug prevention while at the same time avoiding these poisoning deaths. The drug supply is increasingly poisonous. Carfentanil, believed to be 100 times more toxic than fentanyl, is more common this year than last. It's why experts fear the progress made in reducing the death toll could just be temporary. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Well, an area of Vancouver that once had a reputation as a place to avoid is set for a redesign. The future of Gastown's Blood Alley Square is on display tonight. Our Paul Johnson joins us live with a look at how this historic area could change. Paul? Sophie, for those of you who are not familiar, Blood Alley, where we are now, is actually one of the oldest roadways in all of Vancouver. It dates back to the 1870s when Gastown at the time was a city and a settlement made up mostly of loggers. Like a lot of parts of the downtown east side, Blood Alley has struggled with its image in recent decades. And with the new change in development in the area, city planners are hoping to refurbish it and make it friendlier and more litter-free, but still retain as much of its historic character as possible. And it's been a place for people to chill, but gradually over the years, it's deteriorated a little bit. And we've been looking at opportunities to try and see how it can be refreshed so that people can enjoy uh, using that space again. So one of their challenges in this refurbishment of Blood Alley is to try to retain as many of the trees here as possible. Quite a few trees here. This is rare for the downtown east side. Some of these trees are doing better than others. So they want to shore up the trees that they can save and replant. This is ultimately something that city council would have to approve. And we're probably talking a few years out at this point. They say if this goes ahead, it would cost likely between half a million and a million dollars. And so far, just as we were setting up for this report here, we've been hearing a fair bit from some of the people who run some of the businesses um, on Blood Alley and some of the people who come down and hang out here. Um, they're very positive about any changes and any attempt to try to reclaim this and make this more of a destination in Gastown. So some exciting changes possibly yeah. happening here, guys. Potentially. All right. Thanks for that, Paul. We'll look for more on this story tonight on the news at 11. A little short-term pain for long-term gain, it sounds like. Okay, a unique concert designed to raise awareness of climate change. After the forecast, we'll tell you how far these musicians traveled to make their musical points. Ooh, a lot warmer than that around here. Thankfully, mm. we'll check in with Christy, who's here with a look at the forecast. 
Thanks, Chris. Yes, it was warmer today with some nice sunshine, although yesterday we had rain and that was the first time that we had rain in three weeks. So the last seven days of April completely dry. And this is the map so far or the calendar so far for May from the first all the way to the 13th, totally dry. Yesterday, we finally had some rain. And uh, so that three week of dry weather is finally breaking up. And now we're into more of a, what I call a normal pattern for spring and I'll tell you we need it we need the moisture and uh, normal is healthy in my opinion for the atmosphere today we've been dry so far but a few showers are starting to push in there's your total so far for uh, May 2 or sorry 9.4 millimeters average is 65 we really would like to bump up those numbers and hopefully this will help so a system moving in from the south that's why we're going to see the rain I think for the lower mainland likely around nine o'clock uh, it won't be heavy necessarily Necessarily, and it will ease off. In fact, tomorrow morning, conditions will ease off to dry periods and we'll actually see a bit of sunshine. But we're not done with this system just yet. As that moisture continues to pull into our area, we have a chance of showers in the afternoon with a risk of thunderstorms. You saw the lightning strikes on that satellite map earlier and more moisture expected on Friday, although there is uncertainty as to where that moisture will push in. But you can see that would be real significant moisture to really... Uh, uh, improve the um, fire danger rating. Again, two-thirds of the province across the north under a Category 2 fire danger rating. Here's a look at the showers you'll see tomorrow afternoon across the north. Showers more likely in the morning in these areas with a chance of showers, so isolated showers in the afternoon with that risk of thunderstorms. And we'll see that through the Fraser Valley as well. So watch out for thunderstorms tomorrow afternoon. Friday's the day you need to keep your umbrella handy. Periods of rain expected that day. And then Here's a look at the sunshine that we saw in Kelowna today. Thanks, Lana, for that one. Beautiful. Thank you, Lana. Flat water. Love it. All right. A group of musicians from Norway traveled about as far north as possible to make a point about climate change. The quartet trekked to a point in Svalbard, an archipelago north of Norway, to play a concert on instruments carved out of the ice collected from Arctic waters. Greenpeace sponsored the event, saying the Arctic is suffering from record-breaking ice loss. Governments are negotiating a global ocean treaty that could pave the way for the creation of a network of ocean sanctuaries. Sounds pretty cool. Yes. Good acoustics. Yeah. There's nothing else around. Really. Amazing. So I said Mike Jagger because I was thinking Mike Riley. Yes, well... They look very much alike, too. I just got confused there for a second. <laughs> it's good to see Mick Jagger still. How old is he now? 75. That's, that's I mean, think of that. A 75-year-old guy. When you think of 75, you don't think that. Mm. you got to give him the props. Uh, the moment Mike Riley signed with the BC Lions, he wanted to start working with the guys he'll be passing the ball to this season. He wanted to meet them, go over ideas, and, of course, throw balls because... There are nuances and differences that everyone will need to learn about each other to make the Lions' offense work as well as possible. You know, the ball just comes out of his hands a little bit different. It's a little more than just a little bit different. Even Mike Riley admits his throwing motion is not one you would teach. And if you want to know the mechanics of throwing a ball, there's probably not a worse release to look at than mine. Okay, what makes your release, quote-unquote, not 
well, normal? It's, yeah, it's more compact. You know, some guys have big windups and things like that. So certainly, if you're going to be on one end of the spectrum or the other, I prefer the where I'm at. Way more compact. Um, you know, it, it takes me way less time to get the ball out. And when the ball does come out, it's a lot harder than most quarterbacks throw in the CFL, which does have its advantages. The harder the ball, the less time you have to think about it. It just gets to your hands, and it just, I mean, pretty much just sticks to them. And when that ball is floating in the air, you kind of have more time to think about, well, who's around me? How much time do I have? Another thing about life with Riley is he can throw the ball further than most quarterbacks. I hit Duke against BC and Edmonton a couple years ago on the first play of the game. That ball was close to, close to, if not a little bit more than 70 yards in the air. And Riley with some time there, and out looking for Duke Williams, and he's got it. If I got to chuck one, I could get it somewhere between 70 and 75. <laughs> you turn around to look for the ball, and you, you've still got to run 20 more yards, and you're 60 yards down the field. It's, uh, it's exciting. It's really exciting to know the, the type of things we're going to be able to do uh, to pick defenses apart. These sessions gives both Mike Riley and his receivers a sense of each other. But for Brian Burnham, another important factor here is likability of the new quarterback. Well, for me, I want to know the type of guy he is. You know, that's the, that's the guy we're all looking at as the leader. And, uh, you know, the way I've seen um, him act uh, around his wife and around his kids, uh, I, yeah, I know what type of man he is. And, you know, I'm willing to go to go to work and take a little bit of contact for that kind of guy. <laughs> if I got a guy who's, you know, out drinking the night before the game, you know, I'm not. Why am I going to put my body on the line for him? Mike Riley is happy to know BC has signed former NFL offensive lineman Brett Boyko to a two-year contract. He was actually the Lions draft pick second round in 2015, but then he went to the NFL Played with the Eagles, played with the Chargers. He's a Canadian. He stands 6'6", weighs 300, so I think he'll make a fine bodyguard for Riley. Oh, and the CFL and its players' union have come to an agreement on a new labor deal that'll last three years if it's ratified, which it likely will be. Uh, Training camps will start on time because of that, and it'll start this weekend, all the training camps. The owners kept the salary cap from going up that much, about 50000 per team, but the players got what they wanted, minimum salaries, going up 20% to 65000 per guy, and more insurance coverage for injuries. They used to have one year, now they have three. Tonight, the Vancouver Whitecaps get to play the defending MLS champions. Atlanta FC is in town. They didn't start the season like cup winners, but they've got their groove on now. Four straight shutout wins. Okay, they had a spell in the beginning of the year with a change of coach and a little bit of a change of identity that needed adaptation. But, you know, when you have players in your roster... That, that have won the MLS Cup and some of them, like uh, Darlington Nagby, not only with one team, he's done it with other team with another team. So um, they have a lot of quality in their roster. We're aware of that, but we'll be ready. They don't need last names. Kawhi and Giannis. Game one, Bucks Raptors. Raptors need other guys and just Kawhi to hit shots in this series. Like that from Kyle Lowry. That will help. Although he slowed down a bit after a fast start. But you do have Kawhi. For three, yes. And then after a Marc Gasol miss, nice rebound here. Picked up by Lowry. Give it to number two. He knows what to do. Move and bucket. Milwaukee down by one. In the NHL, St. Louis leads San Jose 4-3 going into the third period. There you go. You don't need a last name either. You're just Squire. Squire.
Thank you. If the people you normally dance with can't get no satisfaction, you're not going to like this piece of video, which is tearing up the internet tonight. A sight for sore eyes for Rolling Stones fans. Only he has the moves like Jagger. Mick Jagger sharing a video today with his more than 2 million Twitter followers practicing his trademark moves in a dance studio just six weeks after having heart surgery. And he's 75 years old, a great-grandfather to boot. Dancing not to a Stone song in this video, but to techno fan by the English rock band The Wombats. Never heard of them. The Wombats? No, I don't, I don't know them. Jagger and the Stones are now preparing to resume the No Filter Tour after his surgery forced them to postpone North American dates scheduled for April, May and June. They have yet to announce new dates, but at least fans can take heart that the legendary frontman definitely appears to be on the mend. And who knows, maybe if they reschedule, they will hit Vancouver because the closest they were going to get was Seattle. Next week. May 22nd, postponed. I did not have tickets, but <laughs> it would be nice. clearly upset about it. It would be nice. I'm pretty sure he stole those moves from my three-year-old. <laughs> really? Yeah. 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 I'm pretty sure that's where you're going. Well, see, now, so that's, that's even more impressive. So a 75-year-old man moves that's like a three-year-old child. That's incredible. That's a good point. You need to post video of Braden dancing. <laughs> Jordan, too, the for stones. that. Yeah. Or the wombats, whichever. <laughs> Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a good night. Good night, all.